Well, thank you. And, and the first thing I want everybody to know that this, this was not my idea. This was the idea of the Chicago police. They approached me. No and way. That's I, awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So no, this, I want to give all the credit to, you know, the Chicago PD 19th District Commander um, uh, Chris here um, came to me and said, John, I, I've known him for, uh, for a little while when he started seeing my shows here at, at Rizzo's and, and where I'm singing uh, by Wrigley. He reached out to me, I want to say about a month, month ago now, it's maybe a little longer. And he said, what do you think about doing this? On, on Wednesdays, we go to these places and we go to these nursing homes. This is episode number 145 with John Vincent. You're listening to American Snippets, the all-American podcast for those looking to dream bigger, live better, and make an impact. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Once again, my name is Dave Brown. I'm here with my co-host and partner, Barbara Allen. We have another awesome guest for you here today. But first, I just want to remind you all, especially if you're new to the show, you're a brand new listener, you know what this podcast is all about. Uh, we like to say we're about positivity, possibility, and patriotism. Uh, this is a patriotic, entrepreneurial, mindset-driven interview show that focuses heavily on the American dream and encour encouraging you to pursue more out of life. We are relentlessly patriotic. We are avid supporters of our military, our veterans, and their families. And we believe that we live in the greatest country on earth because of the freedoms we have here, because of the opportunities here, and the personal liberties that we all have as well. And we want our stories and our guests that we feature each and every week on our show to, to help fuel your own passions in life so you too can live your own version of the American dream. So if you believe in the mission, uh, you believe in our message, and you enjoy listening to the show, all that we ask each and every week is that you leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Let us know what you think about the show. Share this podcast with a friend. Share on social media, and we would greatly appreciate it. So uh, this week's guest, his name is John Vincent. John loves to sing. It's his gift. It's what brings him joy, and he's been dubbed as a crooner for his signature throwback covers of the late, great Frank Sinatra and others of that era. And if you're a Cubs fan, there's a real good chance you've heard John singing the anthem prior to each home game. During the COVID-19 lockdowns, John is taking his talents to, his, to the streets of his hometown. At the request of local law enforcement, John is popping up all over town for impromptu performances that are bringing joy and light into stressful lives. And in this episode, we talk with John about his own path to success and how each of us has the ability to inspire others. So without further ado, here is Barbara Allen with John Vincent. You're listening to the American Snippets Podcast. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. I'm your co-host, Barb Allen. Very excited to be sitting down today with John Vincent, who I believe he's been dubbed the COVID crooner of late, but he's he's known for many other things. I did see that online. One of your friends posted, called it the COVID I know, crooner. somebody put that. I was like, oh, I love God. it. It's very <laughs> it is very catchy, but that's not what he's known for. Uh, John made his way into the national stage when he became a singer for the Chicago Cubs. Most notably, he sings the national anthem 
But aside from his passion for that, he makes his living professionally singing, and he also uses his own experience and his own lessons and his own energy to go out and speak for free at schools all over to talk about bullying and address it and use his own experience as being bullied as a child and his history with mental illness and his struggle with that and his courage to come out and share all of that to inspire and impact lives everywhere. And we could not be happier to have found him nestled up into an Airbnb here during this current um, lockdown. And we're so happy we get to spend some time with you today, John. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this. No, thank you so much for having me. Seriously, thank you. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And I joke about the COVID crooner, but we were talking right (laughs) before we started singing is that we found you because we actively search for, you know, people using their gifts in creative and unique ways, right? Like we can't all end this crisis. We can't fix the economy ourselves. We can't single-handedly do anything, but there are so many ways that every single person has a little bit of gift, a little bit of light to shed into their own immediate reach. And you nailed it. You're going around the streets of Chicago, setting up impromptu little mini concerts there. And you can see the people coming out on their balconies and like really just coming out of the darkness, literally into the light for a minute to just reconnect with all the good stuff and the feelings and what a gift you're giving them. Well, thank you. And, and the first thing I want everybody to know that this, this was not my idea. This was the idea of the Chicago police. They approached me. No and way. That's I, awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So no, this, I want to give all the credit to, you know, the Chicago PD 19th District Commander um, uh, Chris here um, came to me and said, John, I, I've known him for, uh, for a little while when he started seeing my shows here at, at Rizzo's and, and where I'm singing uh, by Wrigley. He reached out to me, I want to say about a month, month ago now, maybe a little longer. And he said, what do you think about doing this? On, on Wednesdays, we go to these places and we go to these nursing homes. And I'm, like I said, I'm very uh, open about who I am. I am a, this pandemic for me, because of my OCD, I haven't had the hand washing problem and the germ problem since I was a teenager. Now, since this pandemic, it's hit me so hard. I'm washing my hands constantly. I'm worried about this or that. Did I touch this? Can this get you sick? Can that? And I'll be honest about it. A lot of people are like, well, how can you just say that? I'm like, well, what am I going to do? I know. I, I, I go outside and I get nervous. Like for me to face a virus is, you know, is, is nerve wracking. Like, okay, wh- what do I do? What do I, and stuff like that. So I did not want to do it because I was afraid. And then I realized what uh, my friends in the, the police, in the fire department, nurses who are, are amazing, amazing human beings, people in the military, they're doing these things um, to help others. So I'm like, I have to go do it. If these people are suffering, I have to go do it. But um, I'm a chicken. You know, I'm afraid. I'm, I, I, I have, and, and I think the biggest thing in life is, is once you can have the empathy for others, outgrow the empathy for yourself, which is, you know, I don't like when people say victim mentality because some people, they're like, oh, I hate when people have the victim mentality. You know, sometimes I don't have a problem with somebody having a victim mentality because that means they're hurting and something's bothering them. And if it's a true feeling or if they are taking it the wrong way, let's get to the bottom of it and find out. But obviously something's hurting when somebody feels like a victim. So I don't feel like a victim that I have uh, 
mental illness, that I have OCD, that I have depression, that I have anxiety. I don't feel that anymore. I don't feel ashamed that I talked about that I tried committing suicide and, and I failed. I failed and I'm glad I failed. I'm, I'm happy I failed. I'm in a pandemic right now, but I'm still glad I, I you know, failed at trying to kill myself a few years back. Um, the biggest thing to me is, is when, when you have more empathy for other people than yourself, then life starts getting fun. Then you're like, wait a minute, this is just kind of a game. And the part of the game is, is the winning part of it is love. As corny as it sounds, it is, right? It, 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 I go to these places for free to sing. I'll go to uh, schools and talk about bullying for free. Because when I uh, was in, sang in the World Series, Lady Gaga tweeted about my anthem. And she said, um, great job, you know, John in the National Anthem. And I had a bad cold that day. I sounded horrible. She just did that because I think she just did it out of the kindness of her heart. So I swear to God. Because I hate that anthem. I sounded horrible. <laughs> I, I really did. If you look at the video, I almost like fall back because I almost like fainted when I was holding free because I, that's what I do. I hold free for a long time and I could only hold it for like 10 seconds because I, I got lightheaded, you know, and, and I was like, oh no, I just, I sounded horrible. Then I saw what she wrote. I looked into her past. She is against bullying. She suffered. She was bullied. She yeah. suffers from mental illness. I'm like, you know what? How awesome of this person who is a mega superstar just to mention me, who I'm nobody. And I, I started speaking at schools because of her. That's so and, great. Let's, and, yeah. let's stop you here because you just went into a, a whole slew of I things that I, I want to just, I'm horrible. Pull, I, I want to pull apart here. No, that's okay. I love it. I love it. We're just going to pull it apart and piece it back together for people to um, give a whole a greater understanding of everything. Cause what, when your story is your story, it's normal to you. It doesn't, you know, nothing seems remarkable about it. Right. But when somebody else is listening in on a story, like, Oh, wait a minute, how'd you do that? How'd you do that? You know, or, or, or how did you get through that? So let's, let's pull that apart a little. Cause there's so many lessons for people to pull from your story now, especially in the time when we're all kind of locked down and the frustration is hitting and people are going to lose homes. They're losing jobs. They're grieving people like you know, there's fear, anger, mistrust, all these things yeah. about to just boil over in this country, right? Yeah. So yes. there's a lot of lessons that we can take and pull because we've all been at the point where we felt like we were going to boil over before. I love that you're open about talking about your suicide attempt. I've been to that place too. I had that moment sitting there with the pills I'm in my sorry. hand. Listening to I'm my sorry. Kids, but you know, but well, I'm sorry for you, but it's just, it's our story, right? And it's what got us yeah. to where we are. And it gave us the appreciation for things we have now. Yes. But I do want to pull from that because, you know, everyone's story can impact somebody in a different way. So I know, for instance, even before you came into singing, even before you found that path, I mean, your family themselves has a crazy story. You know, your father survived World War II there. And I know I found that story where he was sharing what his his mom told him about yeah my nonna my nonna Giconda, yeah nonna yeah. is a, is italian for grandmother yeah that's that's an amazing story my dad was born in 1935 in Palena, italy and uh the nazi soldiers kicked them out of their row house at that time it was just my my nonno john my dad uh my my, my nonna Giconda, my dad my auntie mary uh my uncle benny and i don't know if my auntie anita was born at that point i think she was um, so my dad was the second oldest, the, the, the first oldest boy. And in 1935, probably about the time he was seven or eight. So 1942, 43, 
uh, he, they get kicked out of the row houses, in, in the row house in Italy, because it had a strategic point that the Nazis uh, wanted, because it, it's a very small town in Abruzzo, Italy. So it's, uh, it, it was a perfect viewpoint to see if people were coming in and out. So they kicked them out of there. And he said, we lived in a barn. And when you're younger, you're like, I live in a barn. Okay, what are you talking about? Blah, blah, blah. That'd be kind of cool. I, yeah. yeah, right. You're like, oh, and then you're not even attention. You're like, what am I getting for Christmas? Or what's yeah. going on? Or blah, blah, blah. Play football. And then, but then you get older and you listen to these stories. You're like, okay, wait a minute. You got kicked. You guys got kicked out of this barn. And then what happened? And then he, when I, he took me to Italy when I was a kid in the 80s, he goes, I want to show you right here. He goes, right here, your nun and me were standing. And there was a tarp under the, the Nazi tank. And your nonna says, Vincenzo, because my dad's name's Vince. My middle name's Vince. My name's Giovanni Vincenzo Pierrazio. And my dad's, I'm, my dad's name's Vince Pierrazio. So he goes, my grandmother goes, Vincenzo, vai prende col tarpa uh, sotto la tanca, ti fanno i panni sotto la legno, uh, put it on top of the wood. We'll get this tarp. We'll make pants for you kids, all this stuff. So my dad goes. He goes, goes to grab this tarp. He turns around. A Nazi soldier puts a gun to my grandmother's head and goes, you can have it, but she died. I go to my dad. I go, what happened? He goes, what do you think happened? Your grandmother's still alive. This was back in 1980. <laughs> that was 1985 or 86. I was in Italy. So I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. So he goes, then he takes me another spot. He goes, right here. He goes, there was some kind of disease with the horses that the Nazi soldiers had. And they buried, they killed all this, the horses, and they buried the horses in this big pit. And he goes, you know what we did? I said, what? He said, at night, the whole, the whole town... And the family and a few other villagers went down and we dug up the horses and we ate the meat. Oh my I God. said, Dad, what do you do? Why? He goes, John, he goes, if I had an orange for Christmas, it was a huge gift. He goes, I used to make shoes out of motorcycle tires. I cut up the tires and tie it. I go, Dad, really, Dad? He said, yeah. He goes, I hope you never see what I saw. I go, I hope you never see. This is where another guy was killed in front of me. He goes, I was eight, nine, ten years old. Then after the war, he goes, it, it was real bad. There was no food, more, no, you know, famine, everything. And uh, I, I, until I got older and started thinking more and more about it, that's why I hold free so long, free for yeah. humanity, for everybody, for every living being on the earth. Because at the end of the day, it does sound corny, but why do, why do we have this attachment to negative news and to gossip or to whatever. I can tell you in my 20s and 30s, I was a really, really angry guy because I was bullied and beat up as a kid. I was not a nice person to be around. What happened when you were, let's, I'm going to, I'm going to stop you and take it in, in portions here. What happened uh, when you were a kid? Like how, how was everyone's kind of impacted in different ways? I got my own you know, stories of being harassed for a couple of years. Um, but, uh, you know, what happened as a kid? How old were you? And how did you get past it? Because again, there are a lot of kids out there or parents of children who are dealing with this that could maybe pull some value from what you went through and how you learned to to address it. Well, I, I was very ashamed. Um, I was this little kid who had this gigantic head that you see right now on this camera. Um, but I was little. I was small. I was like, my head was like a pumpkin and uh, I was thin. I mean, I wasn't thin, thin, but I was pretty darn thin. And uh, they'd call me blockhead and this and that. And I'm very, very sensitive. So when I would hear that, I would get really hurt. And then if I had the courage to say something, uh, then it would escalate to a fight. And at that point, I never wanted to fight. And I'd either get, I hate to, shame to say, get beat up. And that's not a shame. Hey, I didn't want to fight. Who cares? 
uh, I would get beat up. I would get chased home. I lived a couple blocks from the school on the south side of Chicago. And uh, I got I got picked on and I got beat up. And I never really, my mother and father, I'm like, why didn't you tell us? I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember why. But I remember going home, being very angry as a child, being very angry, thinking about wanting to beat up the bullies, wanting to fight back and do this. And I remember one time a kid threw an orange peel at me in eighth grade. And I finally stood up for myself and he just punched me right in the nose and I was bleeding everywhere. And I remember we had um, deaf students on the top at Kinsey School uh, Elementary and, and, and um, we had our grades on the bottom. And I go running to the bathroom with this nosebleed and there was a few deaf kids there. They were so sweet. They're giving me like paper towel and I'm just crying because I just didn't hit him back. And I'm like, why didn't I hit him back? And uh, when I got older, I grew eight inches junior to senior year in high school. Whoa. I was the first one cut my freshman year um, out of 110 guys at St. Lawrence. Then my senior year, they're like, come out and play. So I played, started at left tackle, went to Elmer's College, uh, played there for four years, played a year at a pro in Germany. But I never really liked the hitting. I was good at it. I was, I was, I was All-American my senior year. And I was good at football, just the hitting part. I was never like those guys. A lot of guys loved hitting. I wasn't a big fan of hitting and at left tackle. <laughs> you know, that doesn't work <laughs> out too well. But I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoy, I'm still friends with all those guys. But I then became very angry because of that shame I felt for never fighting back as a kid. So I was not polite maybe is the, is the best term to use like i could be an asshole i could be you know if i got drunk and said something stupid um you know you know if it was f you to somebody and, and, and f you too and just like whatever having an attitude where now it's kind of almost funny where you think like i don't see any reason to fight at all again if i see somebody getting hurt physically or if i see somebody getting hurt mentally i'm gonna step in and say come on guys what's going on but if somebody, which they do all the time, uh, makes fun of me on the internet for my weight or for Still today, think, oh yeah, oh my god! And then there's so many like these accounts where people hide behind it. This guy's a showboat; he's okay. holding free. No, I'm holding free because my grandmother had a gun to her head, and when people told me they liked that I held free for a long time, that's why I held free. It's a lot easier for me to hold free for three seconds, and that's it. That that would be easy, but I hold it longer because of that freedom for humanity. And then I found out that the fans, most of the fans like it, but I've had fans come up to me and say, you know, I can't stand the way you sing it or this or that. And then, you know, back in the day, I would have been like, fuck you. But now I'm like, okay, <laughs> all right, whatever. It's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? People just, some people just want to tear down. Yes. But I remember when I was younger, I was one of those people. And why was I one of those people? Because I was very unhappy. Why was I very unhappy? Because I got abused. And I wasn't, uh, I didn't have, I didn't have happiness in my heart yeah. and I had anger because there's only two feelings in life. There are only two real feelings in life. You know that, right? Fear, which comes which from the mind, from, yeah, yeah, yeah. the ego, and, and, and then love, which comes from our, our spirit or inner being. I say our spirit. I'm, I'm very, yeah. I believe in God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. I'm very uh, 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 connected. I have a very, very strong faith, but I have friends who are from different religions, and I have friends who are atheists. And again, I respect every one of them. Why should I tell them their beliefs are wrong? I don't have any business judging anybody. Yeah. 
Mom, that's an important yeah. thing that we've lost kind of in this country today. Is totally lost. To, I think there's a lot of misplaced. People are frustrated maybe for various reasons about where they are in their own lives or holding on to things that happened to them. They haven't healed from things or they're scared of things or they have this going wrong. And it's so much easier to take that frustration and fear and pain and direct it, vent it out at somebody else than to really oh, go, yeah. in, go inward and address it yourselves, right? But let's get back to, so you spent a year playing football in Germany and that's pretty awesome. Like That's fun. That was fun. Yeah. Oh, Dusseldorf. <laughs> it was beautiful. I had so much fun. I played with the Dusseldorf Panthers, um, met some great friends out there. There was a gentleman who played for USC running back by the name of Estrus Creighton. And Estrus, I think, played with the Giants, if I'm not mistaken, for a little bit. The New York Giants played with the Edmonton Eskimos at a CFL. But he came in the first year when I did out of um uh out of uh southern california usc and we were roommates and man did i love estrus he he's still there i think he's coaching now but he was in germany mr. germany yeah he was mr oh. germany in football this guy was unbelievable and his work ethic ridiculous he said come on big john we got to get you moving so we would run in the track he would like go i don't know how many half the track behind me and he says we're going to run to the other half and my fat ass is running and he'd catch me <laughs> way before I get there. And then longer in the season, he'd have to go. And he's like, let's go. He, he would come closer and closer at the start. And he was getting me to run faster, lift more weights, get all this. And he was so awesome. And we came from such different backgrounds. I remember we had this rental car company that would supply cars to the, to the, to the players. So we had our car, me and him. And when he would drive, he would listen to Tupac, Easy e and Snoop Dogg. And when I would drive, I would throw in the CD of Sinatra. And, and listen to like rap pack stuff. But then sometimes he'd be driving. He'd be like, you know what, Johnny, I like that. That's life song. Throw that on there. And then I'm like, yeah. man, hey, Estrus, you know, I'm going to drive, but give me the CD. Give me the CD of Tupac. I love Dear Mama. Or I want to listen to, you know, Shed So Many Tears. And we just bonded over so many things. So you brought so in each other's horizons. Oh, you, we yeah. brought in each other's horizons. Oh, God, <laughs> Tupac. People ask me now, they're like, who are your favorite singers? I'm like, Luciano Pavarotti, Freddie Mercury, Tupac Shakur, Frank Sinatra. Uh, you know, and they're like, like wait a minute. I'm like, I'm like, Tupac <laughs> has an amazing voice. If you listen to the timber he had in his voice, that that depth, I mean, that guy could he could sing. My I mean, kids one like of my him too. Yeah. Oh, I mean, just his voice and the power in it. Um, it's like my favorite national anthem of all time is one and two is Whitney Houston. And and I know opinions are opinions, but if you don't think Whitney Houston had the best national anthem ever, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, God bless you have your own decisions, but her national anthem during the '91 Gulf War was unreal. And then Marvin Gaye's national anthem at um, the All Star Game, I loved. I'll go, I'll go back and find that. them and play them. So after oh you got, you decided that football wasn't going to be your thing. Like you were not you were that I decided I wasn't I wasn't good enough for uh, you know the NFL, so I had to, I had. So to they decided play. that football was not going to be your they thing, decided and you that's not my so, thing. Yeah. So then you're at a place <laughs> in life where you're looking around and you realize, hey, I have to figure something else out now. How old were you then? Yeah, I was 23, 24. I worked uh, I worked part time. I worked full time then at a casino, uh, you know, did that for, I don't know how long. And I'm like, I, I should use my degree and, and go to, uh, um, uh, get a job somewhere. And my sister goes, well, go to a, a recruiting firm, you know, they can help you. So I go in there and I have a degree in advertising public. And relations. you're back in the States now. 
Yes. Okay. I'm back in the States. And I have a degree in advertising public relations. Go to this recruiting firm and uh, it's called CPS, Chemical Personnel Search. And they're like, you know, you we place accountants here, chemical engineers, engineers, people in advertising that have this and this. We really don't have any fits for you, but would you think about working here? And I'm like, what is it? I'm like, well, there's no salary. It's all commission-based and there's bonuses. And I'm like, I'm living with my mom and dad. I'm like, let's give it a shot. So I didn't, I can't say I enjoyed my job, but I loved the people I worked with. Um, my boss was in the military. He passed away. I want to say maybe Doug Christensen was his name. He passed away. God, maybe five years now, maybe a little, take, give or take a year. I sang at his memorial. Um, the last time I worked at CPS was in 2001. Um, I left on good terms. Um, I loved everybody there. I was dating a girl. She kind of broke my heart. And I just said, you know what? Oh, I I'm hate it when that happens. <laughs> I know. So I jump on a flight at the age of 29, 28 or 29, whatever I was. I think I was 28. And I go to Vegas because I'm a gambling degenerate. And um, I'm just playing in Vegas. I call my mother from the Golden Nugget. She's like, come home, come home. I go, Ma, I'm going to be a singer. She's like, no, Johnny. It's really a worried Italian mother. I'm like, don't worry, Ma. I'm going to be a singer. I'm going to be a singer. No, no, you've got a good job. Little by little, I started singing on the side. And then Coach Dicker heard of me. And they gave me a one-year deal, did, a two-year deal. How did Coach Ditka just happen to hear of you? One of the recruiters I worked with, his name was Tony, really nice guy that, that I worked with at CPS, went to Ditka to have dinner. And they would rotate their singers. They'd have a different singer every week. And uh, he heard this guy doing Sinatra. And he just said to the guy next to him that he was meeting one of his clients. He goes, I never been to Ditka's before this. He goes, um, my buddy's trying to do Sinatra. And the manager at the time, Todd, here's this. Todd Gunderson, here's this. Goes, give him my card. I give him my card. I do an audition for Mrs. Ditka. She goes, do New York, New York. I go, with no music? She's like, yeah. Did that? She goes, he's hired. So I quit my day job. They said, you can come back whenever you want. Just like that. You just, just went like into that. the day job, the security, the paycheck. Were you living on your own then? You had an apartment? You had a house? Living on my own. Living on so my you're own. living on your own. You had a stable income. Yes. And you realize, hey, this is something I'm drawn to more. I'm just going to go for it. Do you understand how many yeah. people get stuck at that point? Like they would would hit the wall would would never be able to take that Why? leap or look in themselves because they're afraid you know they're and it, i understand the fear um they have bills to pay they worry what if i leave this yeah. secure job and i go yeah, out but to i don't have i don't and, have any kids and i don't have i yeah. mean it's just me so if i fail it's just me if i had children and, and, I, and i've been married um you know i'm divorced and uh um crazy thing is we're dating again which is awesome no way <laughs> you're dating old, yeah. your ex-wife yeah well that's a cool story really, it is a really cool story and um don't tell she, my uh, fiance that <laughs> <laughs> so so <laughs> so we 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 uh we we were friends before we got married we never had children or anything like that so if i had children if i had somebody depending on me yes i can say that would probably scare me too but I have a lot of fears in life. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. That's just For not one of them. For some reason, you know what's really weird? I'm not afraid to, and this sounds so bad. I don't have any money saved up. I spent all my money. I gambled. I've, I've, I've wasted money foolishly. I love the casino. I love Vegas, all that stuff. 
So I never saved a dime ever. And my father would always told me, you got to save it for a rainy day. I'm like, dad, I make good money singing. I'll just keep singing till I hopefully till I die. And who knew a pandemic was going to come? <laughs> and <laughs> who knew? Now you can't sing. <laughs> you know, now, yeah. now you're singing, but you, you know, you're singing for free. You're doing things like that, which is fine. Cause I, I got these new owners, these new bosses who are, are very good to me. And people tell me, cause I said something about money. Um, you know, money uh, about don't let money control you or don't let it this. And then some guy goes, only a person with money would say that. And I'm like, well, you know, I have $2,600 in the bank right now, not in yeah. savings and checking savings. I think I have $18 and 46 cents. I'm not kidding. And the guy didn't respond. I go, so why did I say this? And he didn't respond. And I think a lot of people, my father goes, P -p do you talk like this to people? And I'm like, yeah, he goes, they got it. And he's very heavy Italian accent. Goes, they got to think you're crazy. You talk about them, you know, you don't care about the money. You don't care about this. It's the dad. I'm 47. Yeah. I go, how long have I been this way? He goes, as long as I know. I mean, I started working when I was a kid. And, and, and my dad's a total opposite. He goes, you got to save. You got to save. Because my father went through that horrific right, right. Of, of nothing. I said, dad, not to sound horrible, but if there's some way that we just collapse and everything, I'm not going to regret what I did because I don't have children I got to take care of. And, and this sounds nuts. If I have to live on the street, then that's where I go to at the next point. I'm always going to work. I'm always going to try to find a job and I'm right. always going to take care of myself. I'm not going to have, I'm going to take care of myself. And anytime anybody helps me, I want to give them back tenfold. But if I end up wherever I end up at that point, that's, that's where I say the victim mentality for me is like, I did that to myself. What am I going to complain? Yeah. What am I, am so, I going to say, Hey, I'll come on. I know I did it. I did it. So how would you like to come out of this lockdown area? And how would you like to, if you could, I don't know if you have ever read these books or follow these people, people who teach these, you know, mindset and all this stuff, but they talk about doing your perfect day exercise, you know, whereas your, and I've done it, expansion thinking and all that. Like if you had to get up and you had to map out your perfect day, what would that look like? My perfect day, my perfect day. Um, now compared to when I was younger would just be, um, hanging out with people I love, having some coffee, um, watching a good movie, um, watching Godfather two right now, which I love. I've watched <laughs> a million a, a thousand million times. And, <laughs> um, I was just talking to a friend of mine about how, um, I'm glad I grew up, uh, in a very blue collar area. My dad, I think the most he ever made in his life in a year was, Forty some thousand dollars a year as as a bodyguard, security guard for Sears Corporation. Um, you know, he retired in the nineties. Um, I do like to gamble. I do like to go to Vegas, play video poker, and stuff like that. And and that's what I did. Like I always would do stuff like that. And I like to fish, everything else. But as I've gotten older, I like less. Um, and just kind of, I love the book, The Power of Now, um, by Eckhart Tolle. There's no such thing as tomorrow. There's no such thing as yesterday. It's always today. It's always today. Like when people say like, what day? It's today. If we're lucky enough today. for tomorrow to come, it'll be today. You can't do anything outside of the now. Have you ever done anything outside of the now? Yeah, I know. It's a good point. It's no, a good point. Look, think about it. Have you ever? Have you ever done anything well, outside of the present moment? Yes, obviously, obviously not, right? Yes. But, but we keep thinking that way. Oh, we're going to lose weight or we're going to gain, gain weight or we're going to get this new job or when we do this or when we do that. 
or when we do this. When I was younger, that was a perfect day of thinking, oh my God, okay, I can get to this point. Oh, if I become start seeing here and I can start maybe doing this and this will be this and this and this and this. Afterwards, as I got older, and now, especially with this pandemic, the ego is totally gone because we're just, for lack of a better term, we're, we're just these bags of meat walking around <laughs> biologically on this marble. And yeah. this is going to be gone. And for the vast majority of our existence, way vast majority, we are physically dead. So once we can get over this with this, get over the fear of life and have that love take over, now you're just kind of like, okay, if somebody doesn't like you, all right, it sucks, but what are you going to do? Onward. Okay, if somebody doesn't agree with you. And I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem being wrong anymore. Because if I'm if I'm always right, I'll never learn anything. And you're never but if, if you're I'm always wrong, right, you're never striking out and learning and learning right. things. So exactly. let me ask you, let me ask you quick here. There's a lot of people now. One of the most prevalent feelings, I think, is a feeling of helplessness now. And it can be easy for people to sit back and say, "Look, we're locked. We are literally told to stay in our homes." You know, I don't know how I gotta say, "Look, we live out in the countryside, and we can." get outside and in the yard and be with the horses and dogs and take hikes and all this. I don't know how people in a city environment are, are, you know, handling that when you live in an apartment building, you're told you, you shouldn't be outside. And right. all, right? So it's, it can be very frustrating and there can be feeling of helplessness and it can be easy to just go completely inward and forget about the fact or not even consider the fact that you yourself have something to offer the world at this precise moment in time. You know, when you're feeling everything is down. You're worried about paying this or losing this job or this person's sick. And you're understandably overwhelmed with all of the huge things going on in your life and other lives. Now it can be very easy to forget that we also have a gift to offer, whether it's to your own family or to your neighbor or to people you found a way to tap into that. I know the Chicago police nudged you. Right. And which, how cool is that? That the police how cool pushed is that? you that was so and cool. said, please that was so do that. Cool you know, that. the police that, officers. And that's where get, I want the credit to go to. Yeah. The Chicago police came up with that. That's so amazing. They police wanted officers, people who are suffering yeah. in these nursing homes to have some joy. And you know, for them all to the say bad that, news. that's awesome. Yeah. All exactly. the bad news and all the attacks on our law enforcement officers and all that people yes. really need to step back and, and look at, law enforcement as, as people and what a great move especially in a, in the city that gets such a bad you know, rap in other areas of the world uh, for the police officers to come forward and say hey our community needs some morale boost our yeah. community needs some light and you know who we're going to use to do that john vincent <laughs> you know <laughs> how amazing is that so what would you say to people or it or encourage people like is there somebody in your life that you look around and you say hey you know jim over here you have this gift and you yeah. can offer it to there you know do you think that there's a a way for people to help wreck it help each other recognize our, our gifts like the chicago police maybe you wouldn't have thought of that on your own but they're like hey this guy has a gift to offer our community right yeah. so is there um, a way that people I, can help others to recognize their own gifts yeah absolutely i never really my brain is uh either always racked with uh ocd thoughts that my brain is just going and sometimes you just get tired and you just want to zone out and, and not think so when i have people reach out and talk to me i'll um give them advice if they want to hear it 
um, a lot of times I'll listen to what they say and they're like, well, you know, if, you, if you're saying like, John, if you, what do you handle doing? I don't say what they can do. I say what they can do to help themselves because a lot of times people reach out to me who are suffering from mental illness because they know I'm so vocal about it. There's a TV commercial here in Chicago that they play that has, has me on it, talks about depression. So I'll talk more about how they can look at life and turn everything on its head. You can make everything into a positive, everything. Um, And I know that sounds crazy. I'm not saying that something horrific is positive, but I'm saying we still have to persevere because if we, if we gave up at the first horrific thing that happened to us, there there wouldn't be be any life anymore. There wouldn't be a thing called the human race. So, okay. I don't like being stuck inside and I do like being stuck inside because I'm petrified to go outside. Because uh, of my OCD, thinking coronavirus. Oh, if I touch this, right. I got to wash this hand. If this hand touches that hand, that's how OCD works. And people with OCD who are listening to this will understand that. Oh, I get it. Oh my God, I touched my shoe. Now my two sh- shoe touched the floor. If my girlfriend walks over there and gets on her foot. What if she scratches her foot? And she, your brain gets tired. Right. So I tell people, I'm like, your brain is going to do this to you. OCD is going to keep bringing this fear because when a water buffalo goes drink, goes to take a drink in the the river. It's not thinking about the crocodile that's going to possibly eat it. It's taking the water in and just being present. As human beings, we'd be like, okay, wait, are we going to get eaten? Should I drink that water? If I don't drink that water, I'm going to die of dehydration. If I drink that water, that, that crocodile is going to eat me. And we're not living in the moment. So live in the moment. Live in the moment with just some kind of peace. It, I know it's hard. I know. I know you can say that to somebody. I've been there. I've been there where, where like I said, where I tried killing myself. I've been there where I've cried and I, I just couldn't think straight. I've been there where I just couldn't escape the, the, the prison of my own mind. Honestly, and all everything else put to the side, I just want to see people happy. I just want to see people not suffer. I just want to see the world. I hope it happens like after World War II, where we're proud to be an American, that we're proud for everyone to be an American. Right. That we make up, I mean, America is a melting pot. It is. My mother and father are not from this country. They're from Italy. 90% of my relatives are from Italy. They were not born here, but we are Americans and, 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 and we're proud to be an American. But with that, we have to respect every, um, every, um, you fro- hang on, you froze ri- sorry, it's, it was <laughs> low, low power. Mode. Yeah, you, let, me, oh, let me just pause for one sec because the phone's, vi- yeah. your picture is vibrating all around. And, and sorry, all, let me stop that again. To, I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's yeah, all right. Me, okay. Guys, sorry. I was getting, getting okay. lazy there. That's all right. So <laughs> let me just, I, you just said your phone's on low power mode. So let me just go through the last couple things before we, before your phone dies and we, yeah. Oh, I got 20%. Okay. We're good. Yeah. Okay. All right. Are you open to talking about, and I'm asking this for a purpose, not just like gratuitous, like bad moment, right? Are you open to sharing uh, what happened that brought you to the point of trying to kill yourself and, and yeah. how you came Oh yeah, I've said, it on, I've said it on national TV okay. and I, I, I brought it out on Facebook the first time. Um, and, and uh, you know, my mother and father first said, why did you say that? You know, you know people, when you, yeah. they don't want, your parents never want you to be seen as weak or whatever that they think, you know, these, we have this mentality of, you know, if you have a mental illness, it's a sign of weakness. Well, wait, if you have diabetes or you have cancer or you have heart disease, we don't think of it the same way. The brain is an organ, just like the heart and the lungs are in the body. So it's, it, it's an illness and it's okay. And I want people to know 
when I finally got to the point where I didn't give a shit anymore, that's when I just said, I'm going to be really real about things. And that it was in February of 2018. I was very down because of my relationship with my ex. Um, I was just, my depression, just people who suffer from depression, it just comes out sometimes for no reason because my career was going great. Everything was great. The World Series happened a year and a half before. Um, it was, everything was great. Everything was good with life. Like everything was, if everybody looked at it, it'd be like, oh, this is great. But I had this overwhelming depression that went blanket of doom over me. And I'm just tired. I'm just tired. So I, I had this belt and this, I still have the belt. Uh, and it has two prongs on it. It's one of those belts that have two prongs. And I, I went and I was going to think, and I hate to say this, but um, I was going to nail it to the wall and, 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 and nail it with some real big long nails and, and put it around my neck and just hang myself that way. But I'm a very big guy. I'm 350 pounds. I'm six foot five. So I grabbed it. And when I grabbed it, I yanked it really hard and it got stuck. And when it got stuck, I started clawing. Now I got scared. Now I got scared. I'm like, like, I just, I'm trying to do this. What am I getting scared for? So I, I, I get it undone and I'm standing. I'm like, why did you just get scared? You're done with this life. You're telling God, please let me die before you go to sleep. You're thinking all this. So I finally said, F it. And I grabbed it, put it around my head again, grabbed it and yanked it really hard to the point where I think I hurt my vocal cords or my trachea for a minute because I couldn't really like talk properly. And I was kind of like groggily. And I called my best friends, which are my sisters, my two older sisters. And I said, guys, I go, I hate to say this. I go, I go around. Actually, I sat in my chair first and I said, God, I don't want my ex back. I don't want fame. I don't want fortune. I just want peace. Please give me peace. And I sat there for like 30 minutes saying, please, I just want peace. I just want peace. I just want peace. And um, then I called my sisters to like call Dr. Grant right away and start going to him. I started going up for twice a week. That helped me tremendously. Then later on, I started getting ketamine treatments, which really helped me um, a lot. And that was, I did that last year. I started in March and I haven't taken them for a while now. I haven't, I haven't gone for treatments for a while. Like I said, I think the biggest piece came from acceptance because when my father had cancer and it was stage four and it spread to his lymph nodes, I was crying and I just started Ditka's and I go hug him and I could see a little bit of his eyes being watery and it wasn't for him. It was for me. And he kind of, he pushes me back a little, I mean, he hugs me and then he just kind of pushes me back. He looks at me, he goes, look, he goes, I see kids of five or six years old at Loyola hospital. They got a cancer. Yeah. He goes, Johnny, I'm 67. If I die, it's okay. And I said, no dad, it's not okay. He goes, whatever happens, happens. Don't worry. Whatever's going to happen, happens. So he went to the doctor, the doctor, they did the surgery. He had the bag for a little bit and they do the surgery again. He didn't need the bag after that. Thank God. And the doctor told him, Vince, it's going to come back in six months. And my father goes, you don't know. And I don't know. Six That's months great. later, it sounds like, it's like a joke. My, my mother goes back with him six months later. Same doctor. Vince, we're just telling you this type of cancer. It's going to come back. You don't know. And I don't know. <laughs> six months later, they do the same thing. I'm like, are you kidding me? Says the same thing. My father goes, Doc, doctor, I'm a Saudi. I like you. You're a nicer guy, but you're depressing me. So that's enough. <laughs> and my sister's friend was the head nurse of Loyola. And she said, your dad was the most stoic, like patient 
never complained about anything, never. Wow. And I'm like, this guy's totally opposite of me. I'd be like, oh my God, it's coming back. Or <laughs> I don't want to die. Or this. And I'd be like freaking out. And I just looked at my dad and I, my uncle, my uncle Mario was another one. He passed away of a brain tumor. And when he got out of surgery after his brain tumor, he tells me and my father, he goes, did you guys get something to eat down at the cafeteria? And I'm looking at him like, <laughs> you just got out of brain. And he passed away of, of, uh -huh. of cancer. Um, years ago, I don't know, about six years ago, my Uncle Sal was the same way. My dad's other brother, he passed away of throat cancer. He was a heavy great. smoker. Remind well, me I mean, of not Martin. Great not great, but, but the yes, positivity the, the, these yes, guys, the it was positive, just like, and the, they were very zen about everything. They're like, whatever happens, happens. What a way to be and what an example to others, right? When you yeah. go into schools now, and I want to get to this before we're completely out of time, because you are, you take your experience and you go into schools now. Do they find you? Do they call you up and, at, and ask you to come? Yes. Speak? How yes. Is that? So is there one particular moment? And I, I've seen the videos of you giving your talks and you're like right there and you're in there and you get the students involved and they come up to the microphone and they share their stories, their experience and you get them. I mean, it's really great how you get them to do that. And something about, I think when you add that extra energy, it's like, it just makes them feel safe where they can come out and say things that they wouldn't normally come out and say, and kudos to you for getting those kids to do that. I think you make a real, real difference in, in a lot of their lives. Is there one moment that, you know, off the top of your head just sticks out to you that you feel directly or see the impact of what you do and that gives you energy to keep moving forward and, and doing it? Yeah, I've had like where they, they've like the school has sent me stuff and they said the kids have made like banners and stuff. You know, I have this hashtag, be kind or be nothing. Um, the, the, the one thing, though, that I, I remember a lot of things. The one thing I remember is at the first school I spoke at, which really, really broke my heart. Um, there was about 600 kids in the, in, in the theater or auditorium that we were in. And this one little girl comes up, and I don't know how old she was. She comes up to the microphone. They're asking questions. Because I do a question and answer them. I said, yeah. anybody ever experienced bullying? Please don't tell me any names. We don't want to point out any people. Just tell me how you ex tell us all how you experienced the bullying. How did it make you feel? And then I'll even do this one thing where I'll say, um, if anybody was a bully, tell me, you know, why you did that. And this one kid came up and he told me that that's when I remembered. He actually started crying. He's like, I'm so sorry that I'm a bully. He was like apologizing to kids. I'm like, you know what? I go, you have more guts and more heart than anybody i'm like that's awesome and he was like about 13 14 so I'm, he was a big kid and like i told his teachers i'm like this is great this is great like he's up there and he's like saying so it was just good stuff but this little girl came up to me the first thing she said was did you used to go home and did you used to cry and i go yeah a lot of times and then other kids ask questions and then she comes back up to the microphone again and she goes did you ever go home and want to kill yourself and when i heard that i felt like a truck just hit me i'm like holy what the, and I told the teachers, I'm like, you guys, are, we, we heard this. We're going to, you know, get the counselor. But when you hear kids saying that, you know, saying like, you know, I'm uh, about thinking about suicide and stuff. That's just, man, it just, that's just, that's nobody should ever want to kill themselves, but especially a child should not be having those thoughts. And yeah. that's what, I don't know that if I can dwell on, on the negative enough, it'll bring me down. And if people say, oh, you're so positive. I am at times, but at other times, trust me, I get down, I get depressed, I get sad, but I just don't want to give up because yeah. if this is, if this is the only chance we have, life is a test, try to make the best of it. I know it sounds corny, but what are you, what's the other option? 
The other option is to give up. The other option is to be miserable. Either try your best to change the situation, like Eckhart Tolle says, accept or leave it. So you've got three things to do. You try to change the situation, you accept the situation, or you leave the situation. Now, some people can say, well, it's easier said than done in a lot of cases. And right now they're saying domestic violence is up. Yeah. Um, child abuse is up, all this stuff. The ripple what effect those? from the lockdown is just intense. And I don't know. I don't have answers for that. I'm not, yeah. I'm not that smart. I don't know. All I know is um, I just want to see people happy because, what's the again, what is the benefit of, of others being sad? I don't well, understand. What you're doing is definitely adding to, to that. And you at least get to make you get to bring some happy moments into people's lives for a day, for a moment, for 15 minutes, but you never know the ripple effect that's going to have, you know, somebody's going to be singing, like humming the song that they heard you sing in their head and smile at their neighbor. And that's going to be the only time that that person got a smile today because, you know, they're dealing with hard stuff and that's going to impact that part. You know, you, you just can't underestimate the, the impact that anybody can have in this. It doesn't have to be a, a new car or a new house. And, you don't have to live in three different mansions and have all this to, to be able to make an impact on yeah, other people no, and use still, your gift. And I think just being able to do that also, and I know from experience, also elevates your own mood. And it, it yeah. just becomes this cycle, you know, this like chain of life almost that you just need to keep with this to keep spinning. Otherwise, the depression and everything will hit back in. So as long as you and keep those wheels in motion. Laugh at almost oh, yeah. everything my first yeah. time i went out to go sing we went to this nursing home and we were setting up and i see people in the windows and i'm waving and they're waving back and this one guy's in the window and he has his shorts on a t-shirt this older gentleman and i i'm waving to him and the first thing he does to me is he goes like this and he goes go go <laughs> they didn't want me to start singing there and i was just like <laughs> my buddies my boss started busting out laughing i just start busting out laughing i'm like that no guy is hilarious i go that's hilarious i go man that is funny i, I just i just started that's funny to me oh, that's, that's funny great. other people would be like oh my god to me i'm laughing at that shit yeah, that's because hilarious it's just, it's just funny it's did he funny stick now. around for the performance did you see him after that i forgot we had a whole bunch of people coming out of the balcony yeah, yeah. other building you i think some? i tried looking at there he might have left or complained i don't know what happened but just the best thing was when i waved to him he flips me off and just points like take it down the street that's <laughs> hilarious that is- i couldn't stop laughing i'm like oh <laughs> shit man i'm like this guy does not want me to he was <laughs> not in the mood he was not in the mood from some sinatra that day all right, before, oh. we, before we let you go for the day, I want to ask a question that's important to us to ask everyone. We talked before we started the interview, and I explained to you why we do this. You know, We believe partly that the American dream is not dead, especially now. It's taking a beating, but it is still there. It still has a pulse. Everybody can build their own version of the American dream, but that the key is it looks different for everybody. It is not yeah. one cookie-cutter mold that everybody has to fulfill. It's something that it makes sense to that person, right? So we like to ask each of our guests who has shared their their story with us and their message and their lesson, what is your own version of the American dream? What does that look like to you? Peace. Peace. Just just existence. What's what it what what you asked me what my perfect day was. And I'm having coffee right now. I'm not lucky enough to have my mom or dad around me because they're at home and isolated and 
I'll, I'll drive by there and see them. And again, none of us know what's going to happen. I'm not in any position to say, oh, it's going to be okay and this is going to ride out. But once you get to the point and say, whatever it is, like I was saying with my dad and my uncles, it's going to be okay. This is just a test. Live in the moment and just take each moment as they come with peace, though. If you have that peace and you have respect for every human being on this planet, and I mean every human being, one of my best breakfasts I ever had in my life was with a homeless gentleman. He taught me stuff. I thought he was full of shit. And he's like, you think I'm lying? I'm like, no, I don't. And I, I did. I thought he was lying. He's like, look it up on your phone. And I looked it up on my phone and I'm like, holy cow, he was right. He was talking about some football game in the 60s with the Bears and the D Detroit Lions. I'm like, wow, you can learn from so many different places. You can get taught so many things from so many different people. And the biggest thing is, is put yourself in other people's shoes. Do that before anything. If you do that, look through what they're looking through. Then you can have empathy. Empathy is the key to life. Empathy will make you peaceful, but more importantly, it's that kindness we have to give others. And for some reason, people think that's corny. Well, a lot of people, I shouldn't say everybody, because there's so, I believe as a human race, we are good. We are generally, the whole human race as a whole, we're good. We're just, we just get afraid and we do things out of fear. Um, thank God there's only a small, small percentage of what they call psychopaths or whatever that are, that are bad people, right? I think 99.9% .9 of the human race are good people. And we just, we get afraid and we, like we all do. And I just wish we would stop being afraid and just say, we are in this together. It's not the same because let's be real. Somebody who has a lot of money and is on lockdown in a mansion is a lot different than somebody who's here in the city in a very small apartment and can't go out of their apartment. That's not the same or a homeless person. So I think, again, it's peace. Is that a pipe dream? Probably. Cause are we ever going to have peace? I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. History hasn't shown that, but I just wish we would just stop being so afraid of our own egos being damaged. Who cares? Who cares if somebody calls me fat, if somebody calls me this, or I don't sing good or that, who gives a shit? Doesn't, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Laugh about it. Have fun with it. Love it. Have love fun it. with it. Thank you, John. If people want to find you to connect with you, to bring you to their schools, once our schools reopen and we're going to need some bursts of positivity, if they want to maybe have you come perform at their event, because events will reopen again and baseball yes, will reopen. Will. On the, yes, where, we where will. Where can people find you or where can they like, Check in with you online to see some of what you're doing. www.johnvincentlive.com. And I just want to share one last thing. The Spanish flu had had, you know, like they said, there was a couple waves of it, three waves of it. Uh, you know, I, I, my OCD loves reading up on history and everything. And I read about so much stuff. And the only reason I know about this stuff is because I read it. And the Spanish flu is only called the Spanish flu because the countries that were fighting in World War I didn't want to report how many casualties they were getting from this flu. And it was killing a lot of the younger soldiers. And sorry, I know that was the last, that's the last time, that was the last low battery one that I'm done. <laughs> um, um, and, you know, it was tr spreading through soldiers in the trenches back then in 19 and 18. And the second wave was much more deadlier. If you ever feel down, if you ever feel depressed, just remember the United States of America in 1918, 
went through a thing called the Spanish flu. And it was called the Spanish flu because Spain was open about their deaths. The King of Spain actually had the Spanish flu. And that's where it got the name, even though it didn't originate from there. But it went through three waves. And the only way it ended was either people built up an immunity to it and survived or people died. And what happened after that? America survived. The Roaring Twenties came. Yes, then the Great Depression followed about eight years after that. And whatever the stock market crash was, was it 29 or whatever? And we got over that. We can get over everything, but we just got to stick together. Every American deserves love, peace, and goodness. Every American, every American, every, and, and not just every American, every person on this planet. What's the option? The option is, is, is not having love. And that, just that, at that point, to me, it feels good having a conversation like we are right now. And I like your energy that's coming through here. And I hope you like mine. And when I have a conversation with people, I enjoy that. I don't want to have a conversation or feel angry. So why have those? Just be open and be, be, be you. All right, everyone. There you have it. That wraps up another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in today. As always, I'd like to thank our guests as well for being here and sharing their stories. So, John, thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to, to share your story with us today and share it with our audience. Uh, if you want to learn more about John Vincent, please head on over to American Snippets. We do a featured article each week on all of our guests. We include some social media links there as well that you can use to follow John on social. If you got any value out of today's episode or any episode that we've done in the past, all that we ask is that you take some time, just a few minutes, and leave us a review on iTunes. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or on Spotify. Share this podcast with a friend. Share on social media. Uh, you can find us on social, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at American Snippets. Uh, and one last thing, I just want to remind you all, right now we have a t-shirt offer. We just launched these really awesome and cool um, Living the Dream t-shirts, and you can get yours absolutely free. All you have to do is pay shipping and handling. So if you're interested, go to greatamericansyndicate.com. That's greatamericansyndicate.com. Claim your free t-shirt. Again, just pay shipping and handling, and we'll send one out to you straight away. So again, we appreciate you being here today. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you truly are. We'll see you next week. Yeah.